Glenstone, which you've all driven down Glenstone in your life, it's like 40 miles an hour, right? Now, sometimes mommy, daddy, or Christopher drives 45. Sometimes we drive 50. Sometimes some people drive 35, and, and sometimes that's me, and my wife yells at me. But um, sometimes, uh, sometimes we drive a little faster than the speed limit, right? How many of your parents have driven over the speed limit at some point in time? Okay, right? How many of you high schoolers have driven over the speed limit? Okay. How many of you have a speeding ticket? Suckers. All right. So the max you go is like 10 over, right? Like, so the speed limit for the Israelites was like 40 miles an hour. And sometimes these people would go 45. Sometimes they would go 50. Sometimes they'd mess up. Every single person, every single Israelite broke the law at some point in time because they had a sinful nature. At some point in time, if we all had these same laws, none of us would be able to follow them perfectly. None of us. But what that speed limit does is how many times do you guys see someone going 90 down Glenstone? Never! Because what a speed limit does is it restrains you from going all out crazy. So what the law did is it, even if you would mess up sometimes or there were times you would give in to your sinful nature, you wouldn't just go all out nuts and just do everything bad, probably because they'd stone you, but two, because the law functioned as a restraint, because there was, there, was, there was punishment for that. The last reason, and the most important reason for the law, was it was to diagnose. And we talked about, a couple weeks ago, about what Christians do, and they sin, right? And the very fact that we sin is evidence that we have a sinful nature, is that we have a cancer inside of us, is, is how I've thought of it. It's, this is the third part of the law. The third part of the law is it's an MRI. What it does is, is because... Nobody can, can live up to these standards. Nobody can follow these rules perfectly. It showed that there's a problem. Why can't they? Why can't we all be perfect and sinless? Like, why is that? And so what the law functioned as is it said, okay, I'm not perfect. Therefore, I need a Savior. Therefore, I need someone to forgive me because I cannot live up to these standards all the time. I am going to mess up. So that is a great function of the law is to point to Jesus. To say we really need Jesus to save us from our sins. And so when someone broke a law, sometimes they would, they would forget that last part, that it was really about, man, we need grace and forgiveness. And it became really rigid. And like, oh, you didn't do it this way? You're cut off. You're out of here. You're stoned. When really the whole point of the law was to diagnose, to show Man, none of us are perfect. One of those laws uh, that we're going to learn about tonight, we're going to talk about, because all of you are filthy rich, is tithe and offering. Because as you can see today, I trim my beard. I cut the sides of my hair. So why is tithe something that we still do today? So we're going to look at what does tithe look like in the Old Testament, what does it look like in the New Testament, and what should it look like today. So Old Testament. Before tithe was ever in existence, before it became a rule, um, it was practiced. It was practiced by Abraham. Uh, after rescuing Lot, uh, he rescued Lot from a bunch of kings that captured him. Abraham gave a tenth of all he owned to the high priest Melchizedek. That story is in Genesis 14, if you're interested. 
so before this was ever made a rule, Abraham, he gave a tenth of all he owned to a priest to support his ministry. After Jacob, if we know Jacob, he betrayed Esau, and he escaped because Esau was going to kill him, and he fell asleep in Bethel, and he had a dream, and then after he woke up from this dream, this dream that God said, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to keep you, uh, I'm going to take care of you, Jacob made a covenant with God that really shows the heart of giving, that really shows the way that we should have a heart when it comes to giving. And we read this in Genesis chapter 28. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob recognized that everything that he owned or would own is not his. That every single dollar that goes into his pocket, every single animal that comes into his herd is not his. All that you give me, all that, G, all that God gives him, he recognized that everything that he has will be, will be from God. And he's going to give a tenth back. To show that he, why, well, why would he do that? It would show that he values God more than money. That he recognizes who the supplier is, who the giver of gifts is. And it's his way to say, money's not going to control me. And God, I want you to be in charge of my life, not money. Tithe was made a command and first used in Leviticus chapter 27. So I'm not there yet in my devotions. That'll be fun. Uh, chapter 27, verses 30 through 32. Now, the word tithe itself means tenth. That's where you get the whole 10% from. It's from just the literal word tithe. The, this tithe would go to support the Levites or the priests, uh, pastors of Israel. There was another 10% that they would give that went towards festivals, feasts, holidays. 3% went to the poor, and occasionally they would give more money to fund projects such as the temple or barns or whatnot. And so overall, they gave around 25% of everything that came in. There are several similarities to how the Israelites did tithe, how they gave money, and how we do it today. You guys kind of see some of the similarities. We, we, we still kind of sometimes preach 10%, give that to the church. Now, everything outside of that 10% is considered offering. Or everything outside of your giving to support the church is considered offering. Okay, so that's the difference. Tithe. Tithe goes towards to pay my salary. Tithe goes to support um, these light fixtures, lighting up. We pay that pays those bills. Uh, all the ministries that Evangel Temple does so it supports inner city outreach, which is an outreach for those who are homeless or of lower income. It goes to support that ministry, funds them. There's a lot of things that Evangel Temple itself does. Who was at the Easter egg hunt last week? All of that because of your tithe. And, and, and every week. When you guys give in that bucket, that's what that goes towards. It goes to fund those hot dogs that we ran out of at the Easter egg party. Right on? So that's what tithe is. It supports the church so the church functions. And why is that, why is that a good thing? I mean, sure. Why is that a good thing? Right. Right, absolutely. It's good to give to your church, one, because you're here. Why are you a part of this community? I mean, you give to your church because you believe in it. You believe that, one, your pastors are going to do good things with your money. You're trusting them with it. And you trust just the church that you're a part of that it's, it's, worth, it's worth it. It's worth giving towards because Christ set up the church. It was the early church. Like, that's the way, I mean, the message gets out. You believe in it. That's why 
it's good to give to the church. So we give generally that 10%, and sometimes uh, we give to things outside of the church. Sometimes we give to building projects such as the barn here. Sometimes we give money to missionaries. I know Emily and I, we support some missionaries uh, on our own because we believe in them. We believe in what they're doing. Uh, sometimes we give causes to the poor. Sometimes you guys walk by somebody on the street and just give them money. That's, that's, that's begging. All that would be considered offering outside of the tithe. However, we are not under the law of Moses. It is okay to trim my beard and the hair on the side of my head. So why do we still encourage the law of tithing, but not the law of beard growing? What does tithe look like in the New Testament? So what do Jesus and Paul say about tithe? Tithe is only mentioned four times. Once in Hebrews, it's basically retelling the story of Abraham and Melchizedek and how he gave a tenth of what he had to him. So really that's not saying that it's a law or a command. It's just recounting a story. The other three times is just Jesus rebuking or calling out Pharisees for being self-righteous in their giving of tithe. That's the only four times tithe is mentioned in the New Testament. However, it is not the only time that money or giving is talked about. Over half the parables that Jesus talked about were about money. And I wonder why that is. You guys, I was, I was talking to Emily just right before. I was like, man, these kids, you guys are at a great age where money doesn't really control you yet. Where money isn't a big thing yet. But why in the world would Jesus have to spend over half of his parables on this one thing? Maybe, just maybe, because when you get older and you get some, it becomes your idol. It becomes your God. It controls you. It motivates you. You don't want to get rid of it. You don't want to give it away. Maybe that's why Jesus focused on it so much. But tithe in itself is not talked about at all. The commandment of tithe, as we read the New Testament, is gone. So Jesus fulfilled the law. Basically, uh, in Mark 7, Jesus is just like, the law is no more. Those commandments are gone. You can eat bacon. It's gone. All righty? A lot of other weird rules I won't mention. But you can get a tattoo. You can, I mean, there's a lot of things there that they're no more. It's not about that anymore. It's not about what you do and don't do. It's about why you do and don't do. It's about your heart and it's about your motivations for what you do. Which, at first, we're kind of like, whew, that's good. But really, that's kind of a bigger set of guidelines, kind of a way deeper task. But we see Jesus really changing the rules here in Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So when you're sitting there, in whatever you do, and you're saying, should I do this or should I don't do this? Pass it through the filter of, is this loving God with all of my heart, truly? Is what I'm doing loving people more than myself? Is that really what this action is going to do? And if it isn't, then it's probably not something you should be doing. On anything, should you punch someone in the face? Are you loving them more than yourself? On a limb. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a pretty simple process. That's all you got to pass through is those two commandments. Let's get rid of the 400 or whatever commandments there were. Now they're into two. Jesus threw out the old rules. And we can really read, uh, read about these rules and, and kind of what he turns them into. He has a pattern. 
He'll say, remember this little rule? Now it's really big. Now it's a lot more than what you thought it was. So let's read it in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment, which we would agree you shouldn't murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So what Jesus is saying, basically, you guys have felt you're good because you haven't killed anybody. You think you're right on track. But what I'm telling you is you don't, don't, don't just not kill someone. You really need to stop being so angry with people. You need to stop having that control of your life. Do not talk bad at them. Don't insult them. Don't call them fools to their face. So not only do not murder, but the bigger picture is, are you loving people more than yourself? Because then you wouldn't let anger rule your life. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Great. You haven't slept with your neighbor's wife. What I'm saying is, is that even if you look at her and for a millisecond you think of her, in a lustful way, you have committed adultery. Oh, man. So, Israelites, they think they're good, like, I'm following all the rules. Yeah, what's going on in here? What's going on in here? See what I'm saying? It's like small little law, and Jesus, like, blew your mind. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, actually, does anybody not know what eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth means? Basically, all right, if I punch Andrew in the face and I knock out one of his teeth, yeah, I'd, I'd rock it. And punch him in the, and a tooth falls out, my punishment would be that Andrew punches me in the face until it, one of my teeth falls out. Right on? I mean, at the end of the day, that kind of sounds fair to me, but Jesus, who is just mind-boggling, says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also, and let him slap it. So not only if I punch Andrew in the face, should he not fight back, he should turn the other cheek and say, Jesus loves you. I don't know why you're hitting me in the face. But that hurt a lot, like a UFC fighter did it. Last one. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Just really quick, side note. I had a friend of mine this week that really encouraged me to pray for my enemies. And it was something I wasn't doing. So just really quick to you guys. Those in your life that attack you, maybe at school, maybe bullies, maybe family members, are you praying for them? Do you guys love them? Do you guys hope for good things for them that they come to know Christ? Are you loving them when you come into contact with them? So there's that. I really needed that from my friend. So Jesus is taking all these commandments in the law and showing everyone the motivation of your heart and where the problem really is at. So can't you just hear Jesus saying, can't you hear it? You have heard it said, you have heard that it was said, give a, tenth of t- give a tithe of 10% to the priest, but I say to you, can you just hear that? And he never said that, but can't you just hear him going through that process of giving and what he would have turned it into? That's what I, I hear it in my head. So how are we supposed to give today then? You, I have made a mistake. I was not educated, and I was ignorant, and I apologize for that. I've come up on this stage with the little tithe bucket back there, and I've said that let's be obedient, let's give our 10%, right? Have you guys heard me say that? Have you guys heard church say that? That is wrong, dead wrong. The tithe is not anymore. 
That is not a commandment. You are not commanded to give any sort of percentage at all. If anyone tells you that you are supposed to give 10%, they are uneducated. So have love and grace and forgiveness on them and say, yes, but we don't live under the Mosaic law. Jesus destroyed that. Right? Say that, you'll sound real smart, maybe. I don't know. You are not commanded to give 10%. But what do you think I'm going to say next? If Jesus says you're not commanded to give 10%, what do you think he would say next? 100%! Well, I think it's really good if we look at the early church. So that, that church that happened right after Jesus, he, he went away, he floated up into the heavens, and then boom, that's when the church movement started. So what did the early church do? So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, which the Corinthians are a group of people that get nothing right. They just really, uh, they just don't under, seem to understand Christianity. Uh, so Paul has to write them. He has to write them twice, actually. And he really wants to help guide them in giving in chapters 8 and 9. He really wants to help them. So he points to the example of the churches in Macedonia, which is Philippians and Thessalonians. I forget the names, like the Church of Philippi and the Church of Thessalonica or something like that. So he's referring to them. He's like, all right, you guys don't know how to give? Let's look at how they give, and maybe that can help you out. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That would be them. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And the very uh, first three elements of giving are seen here, so I skipped on an accident. It's not about 10%, and it's not about a tithe anymore. It's about, are you giving cheerfully? Are you giving generously, sacrificially, spontaneously, regularly, secretly, and thankfully? Are you doing those things? And so those very first three I said, cheerful, generous, sacrificially, are found right here in how those churches gave. So how do we see, how did those churches give cheerfully? Well, we can see right there. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. So this is a church that's experiencing a lot of persecution, a lot of affliction, yet they're still joyful and looking to give. So you're supposed to, whenever you give, it should be something that you do because you want to, because you're, you're cheerful, you're happy to do it. Second, they gave generously. Their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Generally, these people in these churches were poor, and yet still they were generous, giving a ton of money. To, to support Paul and to support his mission. And they gave sacrificially. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So not only were they giving and still be able to pay the bills, they were giving beyond where they didn't have enough to pay their bills. They were giving to where it really hurt. They were going to have to make sacrifices. They gave more than they could afford because they had a deep desire to take care of Paul and the leaders of the church. And so, let's just talk about the church as a whole. Let's talk about Christianity as a whole. Do you guys, do we really see people giving beyond their means? Do we really see people giving generously to where it is sacrificial? They give, you're supposed to give 
spontaneously, or it'd be a good thing to, uh, to give spontaneously. If we read in uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus encourages people to give to others outside of the church, to give to the poor and the needy. So one, do you look for ways to help support the community? Do you look for ways to support organizations that help others? Do you look to just support others? Are you actively trying to give outside of the church? I'm really proud of the junior high students. Uh, shout out to them. And they gave up their time and talents because they're poor and they have no money. They did everything they could to raise money, though, for Pregnancy Care Center. That was spontaneous, and it only came from a heart of compassion. By the way, they raised like $175 for needy mothers, fathers, and unborn children. So give spontaneously. Like, make sure that your heart, you're constantly available to God when a need arises. Or maybe when a missionary comes and you say, man, I really want to support them. Make sure your heart's constantly, have a, you have a heart of compassion that's always looking to give. What can I do with my money? Give regularly. And we see this in, really this is not like a commandment. None of these are commandments. But they're really good suggestions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about how to give. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So he's kind of saying, every week, set something aside, give it. Every week, set something aside, give it, same day. So what I'm, not, what I'm saying is that you don't need to have something every single week you're putting in that bucket. What I'm saying, maybe it's a good practice to do that, but it doesn't hurt to be regular in your giving. Giving consistently makes, uh, makes it a habit, and it makes it something you won't forget to do. Give secretively. The problem with the Pharisees, what they were giving they were giving out of self-righteousness. Kind of, look at me. Look how much I give. Uh, this is why we don't pass the plate around. One, because I remember when the plate was passed around, and maybe it was for sometimes good reasons, I looked at the person next to me, and it's like emptied out their wallet. And I was like, crap. Man, I really wanted to go out to eat afterwards, but this guy over here, Kyler Burgess, just emptied out his wallet. And now what am I going to do? He's going to see me. He's going to see what I put in there, and that's the problem. It's not about others. It's not about you and other people and who sees you give and how the, like, that makes you feel. Giving is between you and Jesus, and that is it. And so that's why we have it over there. Make it a thing between you and Jesus and not something that's between you and the person next to you. We never want you giving your money or your time or anything out of, I guess I have to, or out of guilt. We see the problem with giving uh, self-righteously. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So at the end of the day, we've gone through most of those for thankful. It's kind of like goes in with cheerful. At the end of the day, what should be the motivation for giving? What should be the heart? Because for the Israelites, and kind of almost for you, and a lot of times your parents, the giving is out of, it's a rule. I have to do it. This is a commandment. That shouldn't be your motivation. That should not be the motivation. That's our fault. That's, that's, that's the church's fault for not educating you on it. But here's the motivation at the end of the day. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I say this not as a command. Giving is not a commandment. 
but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So what that's saying there is Jesus was rich. Jesus was up in heaven, you know, rocking the mansions, rich because he's the son of God. I'm sure he's got a bigger one than us. And right, like Jesus was rich. Jesus had it all up in the heavens. But then he came down and he became a man. And he came down and he lived in poverty, especially compared to what he did have. And then he poured himself out. He poured everything he had, gave everything by dying for us. That the Son of God, rich in heaven, came down for us out of compassion and love for us. So I'm going to die for them. No, I'm going to die for them. As they're shouting, crucify me, I'm going to forgive them. So I believe that Paul is pointing out that, no, maybe this, this isn't a commandment. You must give. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, you'll want to be like him. You want to be like him. Live like him. You want your heart to be his heart. Your mind to be like his mind. And so if Jesus Christ had everything, gave it all up for everyone else because he loved people and he loved everyone around him, why wouldn't that be your desire? So maybe it's not a command, but why wouldn't that be yours? Why wouldn't that be your motivation? Christ gave, so I'll give. Christ had love and compassion for people, so I'll have love and compassion for people. Really quick, you, sometimes you just don't have money. You just don't. Many, a few of you even have a job. So you, there are other ways you give. There's time and there's talents, and you've heard that, right? You can give up your time. One, this Saturday. We need people. I don't know how, like my sister Amanda said it was a lot of fun. That sounds miserable to me to sit on corners and you're directing runners, for like two hours. That is a tithe, my friends, to do that. But that is a great way to, to tithe your time. If you don't have money, come use your time. Come out and just help direct runners because what it's going to do is going to raise money for kids to have just a fun week of camp and forget about their lives and all, 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 all the stuff they've gone through in the past and maybe what they're going home to. You are going to help support them, help to where we don't have to cut a kid from going to camp because you came out, tithe your time, and directed runners. So if you're looking to tithe something this week, that is a great opportunity to do it. And in general, if you don't have money, look to tithe with other things, with your time, with your talents. What can you do? What can you bring? What can you sacrifice time-wise? So are you giving cheerfully, generously, sacrificially, spontaneously, regularly, secretly, and thankfully. And if not, why not? I think a very good practice to do is anytime you do receive money, or tonight, or today, like, have a conversation with Jesus every single time. Have you asked Jesus how much you should give? And sometimes I, I was told this, but I wouldn't do it, because every time I would ask Jesus that, he would say, you should probably give at least something. And I didn't want to hear that. Nana gave me a $20 check. I do not want to give $2 up, God. I do not want to do that. God, I don't want to give $10 to that missionary. Because every time I did ask, he would bring something for me to give to. But I wasn't a cheerful giver. 
but it's a good practice to say, have you talked to Jesus? Because it's between you and him. If at the end of the day, you ask Jesus, God, how much do you want me to give financially or of my time or of my talents to others, to help others, and he's not giving you an answer, because sometimes you just, I don't know, 10% seems to be like a pretty good thing. If it was good for Abraham and Jacob before it was even a law, that's just what they gave, that's a really good starting point. If you don't know what to give, give 10%. If you have a birthday and you just get a ton of money, and you're like, God, how much do you want me to give, and you're not hearing anything, 10% is a really good thing. That's a good solid, like, that's a good place to start. It really is, because it was good for them. But if you continue to only give 10% the rest of your life, are you truly giving like Jesus? If you build your kingdom here on earth with expensive cars and big houses, are you truly giving like Jesus? So tonight I want you to, in your heart, say, God, how do you want me to give? Start looking for ways for you to give. Ask him, you know, how much should I give? And really reflect, look in the mirror to see, are you cheerful? Are you generous? Are you sacrificial? Are you spontaneous? Are you regular? Are you doing it in secret? Are you thankful? (laughs) 